For you who don't know me, I am Bob. I am the eldest elder. I am the shortest elder. I am also the slowest elder. So I'm the short old slow guy. And I keep screaming out, SOS. But I'm glad you're here for the first Advent of Sunday. And knowing that um, we enter into a time where we look forward. Look forward to have time with family. We look forward to having gifts. After all, you know, uh, there's a commercial out uh, that says, Doogie Hauser, what's his name? Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris. He's got this Old Navy uh, commercial out there now. He says to the audience who's sitting out there, say, I am grateful. And then they all say, I am grateful. And now you get to have everything you want for Christmas. So Black Friday, I don't know how many of you participated in it, but, uh, uh, you know, we say thanks for everything that we do have, and then we go out and shop for everything we don't need. <laughs> so uh, as we enter into this time, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the, these people. And I pray, Lord, that what they hear is you. What they see is Jesus. Because it is Jesus. And it starts with him. It will end with him. It's all about him. So as we begin this Christmas season... May we see that. May we sense that as we walk, as we think, as we talk. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Isaiah in chapter 2. This morning, I'm uh, going to be reading from uh, Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Shall we all stand? The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Yesterday morning, uh, we were waking up, and my wife says, uh, we better get up. 
And I says, why? He says, at 4 o'clock, daylight goes down. We only have six hours of daylight. <laughs> Last year this time, I was up in Alaska, and I think I got two hours of daylight. But here in Seattle, Seattle is known to have the most suicide rate per capita in the United States. And many will say it's because of the gray skies, the long winter nights, and it's just hard. It's hard to deal with that darkness. There's a depression that sends in. And sometimes that depression leads us to a place wherein there is no hope. And that death is better than what we're living now. I've been through that. I've been through those doubts and wondering whether or not I'm, what I'm doing, does it really make a difference? Does anybody really care? Is there really a light at the end of the tunnel? I remember as a young believer, I'd lay in bed at night, kind of fearful. Well, more panicked than fearful, I guess. But I would lay in bed and I look up at the ceiling, at the dark ceiling, and I would say, God, if you are not there, what else is there? What else is there? Because I came from a family that uh, we put the fun in dysfunctional. <laughs> and I wanted to leave as soon as I could. In fact, after high school, I graduated. I never moved back home. Oh, I parked my stuff at home during the summer when I took a summer job somewhere, and I'd pick it up. I'd go back for Christmas, Thanksgiving, but I never moved back home. Why? It was just a depressing place for me. In fact, even this last 10 years, after coming back from Montana, we left a church that I really liked. I left a place, an area I really liked. I liked the rhythm of life. I could play racquetball at the college. I could lift weights at the YMCA. And I can go fly fishing and tie flies with my buddies. Why would I want to change? Well, God had a plan. My wife's health says we can't stay there. So we come back to Seattle. Now, I'm 62 years old at that time. And I am an angry old man. Why? I call my denomination. He says, Bob, I really would like to place you. But I can't even place 50-year-olds. They all want the young ones even though you have a lot to offer. So I went through a depression. I was angry at God for not opening something, and when he did open something, we couldn't take it because of the medical. So I was depressed. And there were times that I thought, you know, this world would be better without me. 
Maybe you have been there. Maybe you are there. What do you place your hope in? That's really important. And so on this first Sunday of Advent, this passage really speaks to hope, speaks to peace, speaks to joy, speaks to everything. But we're going to concentrate on one aspect. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Here a prophet speaks. Now understand a prophet just doesn't speak to speak. I don't stand up here just to hear myself talk. Although my mom thought I talked a lot just to hear myself talk. But I am a prophet. Meaning I speak the word of the Lord. It's a foretelling. It's not just a future telling. It's a foretelling. So Isaiah is speaking the words of the Lord which he saw. Or a vision of what he saw. And he can only speak God's word. God's vision. He cannot speak about anything else. So everything that follows says, this is what I saw. This is what's going to take place. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord, of the Lord's house, shall be established on the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. The word of the Lord, the vision of the Lord carries a promise. A promise that will be kept. It's not like me sometimes. I promise something, and I forget about it, and I break it. I remember at the church in Montana, I says, uh, there was this, these two elders in conflict. And uh, they were going to meet. And I says, well, what time are you meeting? He said, at this time. Well, at that time, Bob Chen was nowhere to be found. One of the elders says, well, Bob did say if he didn't think the meeting was important, he wasn't going to show up. But I broke a promise. We've all broken promises. But God does not. He does not. And we will see a little bit later. God uses Isaiah through the power of the Spirit to speak. Not only to Jerusalem and Judah, but to us as well. He gives us a look at the future. It shall come to pass. He speaks of the latter days. In the New Testament, it says we are in the last days. A statement of certainty. Note, it says, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Understand that in that time period, the mountains 
housed God. So every nation, every people would go to a mountain that they believed that God lived. And what this passage says is, and the mountain at the top shall be established, and all the hills below are not true gods, are not all-powerful. The hills have false gods and have no power. Imagine that. This is the God that is proclaimed, that it shouts from Scripture. There's no, no one else. In John in chapter 4, which we have been going through in, John, in the Gospel of John and meeting Jesus, this lady who is living with a man who isn't her husband and had had five husbands, she runs back. She talks to Jesus and says, you worship on that mountain, meaning Mount Zion, and we worship on this mountain. Which mountain is going to be the true one? And so Jesus sets it straight. He speaks in the latter, for the latter days. It will happen. No, I, if it, I may get lost in the weeds here, but I thought this was really fun. And all nations shall flow to it. Up the mountain, flow to it. I'm not walking. I'm not hiking. It flows. It's like, it's like being on an escalator. I don't have to do anything. It's taking me up. It's a supernatural event. All nations. Now, in Israel, when Israel was the chosen people, they were nomads. They were poor. They're just kind of out there. God chooses Israel. Not because of anything they've done. Because what we'll look in the Old Testament, they did a lot of stuff that wasn't good. It's not because of what they've done. It's not because of who they are. They're really nothing special. They are special in another sense because God chose them, but not because they had anything within them that made them special. And so God chooses them. And he chooses them to be a people that draws the nations to the Lord. A picture of a river. A picture flowing. I think that's amazing. There's nothing in me. And I would bet if you really look down deep in your heart, there's nothing in you that really earns me salvation. God drew me to him. God called me to him. God saved me. There's nothing in my life. In fact, if you knew my life, uh, you wouldn't want to be sitting here. Of course, if I knew your life, I probably wouldn't want to preach to you either. But as you, as you think about it, what is in our lives? Israel was a people to draw to the Lord. 
a chosen people. We too are a chosen people. In 1 Peter chapter 9. But you are a chosen people. You is in a plural. It means each and every one of you who knows Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who were once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You! Back in the 90s, when Promise Keepers was a big deal, there was a song that was always sung. Let us be that generation. Let us be that generation that makes the difference. My generation, called the baby boomers, anyone that's born between 1946 to 1957, the largest group of people that were ever born after the war. A lot of babies. A lot of babies. Not so much now. We were the people that said we were going to make a difference. It's the flower child. We were the peace movement. We were the ones that were going to say, hey, enough is enough. Let's get away from materialism. Let's really focus on life, and let's change life that way. We are the most materialistic generation ever. You are a chosen generation. It's in Colossians 1.27. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Him we preach. So let's look at Isaiah verse 3 now, chapter 2. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in its path. Come. And many people will say, come. Come. Let us go. We are that people. We are the ones, based on 1 Peter chapter 2, that we would proclaim the excellencies. Each and every one of us, if we say we know Jesus Christ, we proclaim. We proclaim in one way or another, whether it be for good or for ill. We are the ones We are that people. We are the ones who say, let us go up. Why? Because there's no better place. We are called to share. 
And in this Christmas season, even though people want to say happy holidays, and that's okay, they can say happy holidays. It's really out of holy days. I'll go with that. But you look right now, there is nothing about Jesus Christ, really, as we look at the ads, as we look at the commercials. There's really nothing. We are called to share that hope because there is a promise of hope. So, on Black Friday, we were driving back up from Portland from our adopted son's Thanksgiving time. It was okay drive, beautiful weather. But then we hit JBLM, we hit Tacoma, and I thought, oh, now I know I don't want to go anywhere. Now I know why I just want to stay home. I got kind of weary. Maybe you get weary. There's another Christmas ad. This guy is in a, in a sporting goods store, and he looks at the tennis racket, and he puts it back up. He looks at the sweater, he puts it back up. So he heads on home. His wife is in the couch with her feet up, and she's going through her iPad or whatever, and she says, oh, a weather tech for Uncle whoever it is. Another kind of weather tech. And so he comes back, and she says, oh, how'd it go? And says, oh, man. And then he, he says to her, what about you? I'm all done. We can work ourselves in a frenzy. I always tell people, when it happens, I'm all done. I'm all done for this year. Why? Because I only shop for one. My wife does all the other shopping. <laughs> I like that setup. So when, 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 when the kids call and say, thank you for the present, I ask her, what did we give? Maybe you do that too. Let's go back to, to the text. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke people. They shall beat, down, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. This is the promise. The last part of verse 4, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, excuse me, uh, they shall beat down their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This last part, this section, is printed, etched in a building, a cross from the United Nations, etched in a wall across from the United Nations. That's the dream. That's why the nations have come. And you look at the history of the United Nations, 
Has that happened? No. Why doesn't it happen? Because if it's left to you and me, it ain't going to happen. We want peace. But there are times I said, no, it ain't going to happen. We don't want wars, but they continue on and on. So if it's left up to us, it isn't going to happen. Unless the Lord intercedes. Only the Lord can do this. And that's the reason for the promise. Not even ourselves. I stay a state with certainty. So how can we be sure? How can we be sure that what we have is truth? How can we be sure that what we believe in will actually happen? How can we know for certainty? Because Isaiah says with a certainty. In the Old Testament, if you were to take a look at the Old Testament, just do a little uh, general look. You will see that God does everything he says he will do. And I just lost the clicker. I saw it earlier. Honey, do I have a clicker? Yeah. Oh, it's in a drawer. It's hidden. In the Old Testament, we will see that God did everything he said he would do. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus Christ fulfills all the prophecies. So it is not wishful thinking. It is not like me saying, next year I hope the Mariners win the World Series. It's a step-back program. It'll take a miracle. It's like me saying, I hope the Oakland Raiders stay in Oakland. It ain't going to happen. They're on their way to Las Vegas, whether I like it or not. Most of you know I'm a big Raider fan. They're not doing too good, but I'm still a Raider fan. So I'm rooting for teams that basically have little to no chance. But when you look at the scriptures, it's based on fact. Now, if I can make this work, oh, so today is about hope. It's a hope that is sure. In fact, in Second Peter, it says, and we have a more sure word. Even after Peter had witnessed a lot of miracles, he saw Jesus do this. But even though I saw this, we have a more sure word. And so we are to be people living out that hope. That's the reason why in this Christmas season, and in, in fact as we've gone through the Gospel of John, that we will continue in the new year, come and see. 
Come and see. We should be inviting people. People are more open to the gospel at this time of the year than just about any other time. The facts and the percentages say, if you ask somebody and talk about Jesus Christ, 74% are open to a conversation. They like Jesus. They don't like church. They like Jesus. They don't like some of the people in the church. But they're open to it. So, in verse 3, he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. He will teach us his ways. And some of us have said, well, he'll teach us his ways and it's religion. I can do this and I can't do that. No, there are things we know we shouldn't do. We shouldn't murder somebody. We shouldn't steal from somebody. We shouldn't be envious of somebody's possessions. Is that hard? Well, for some of us, being a kleptomaniac, maybe. It's not that hard. It says... O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And then in verse 6 it says, But you, meaning the house of Jacob, have walked away from that light, from that path. The life we live Shows what we believe in. What our hope is based on. The life we live. Well, how do I measure my life? I would like for you just to look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statements. That tells a lot about your life. It tells me that I spend a lot on sporting equipment. Some sporting equipment I don't even use now. But that's what it tells me. It tells you something as well. Eternal life didn't start, doesn't start, at the by and by. In the sweet by and by. It doesn't start in the future. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, eternal life started when the time you accepted Christ. It is right now. And you get to experience a little bit of this if you walk in His light. After high school, I went to San Francisco State College, a very liberal college. And I loved it. It was like freeing. I could do anything. So much to the point, somebody, so, somebody asked me from the church that I was saved in, says, what is Jesus to you now? 
I said, Jesus is a good man. Jesus has some good teaching. Jesus did live. That's all. That's all. I got kicked out of the church. Whether you agree with it or not, that's what happened. Church discipline. And when that happened, oh, the sorrow. I wanted to get back to a people I love, of a people who cared for me. I missed it. If you're missing it now, we're calling you back. You can walk in the light of the Lord. We shall walk in his path and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Psalms 119.105 says this, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John 12.36 says this, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of light. Light. We have set up our Christmas tree, our little four-foot tree. Is it four feet? Maybe it's three and a half. I thought because we moved into a place that could have a taller tree, I said, well, maybe we should do that. And then I look at the price, and I said, we can live with this four-foot tree for a while. (laughs) Every year I kind of do that. I like setting up Christmas. I like that the tree that we have is pre-lit. All I have to plug in. Is it working? I don't have to do all the other stuff. I like that. Why? Light enlivens the spirit. That's the reason why here in Seattle they have these artificial lights for people who get depressed, who can't stand the gray skies and the darkness to have in their house. To lift up their spirit. It brightens the mood. And I enjoy going down. Whatever street has lights. There was Peacock Lane in Portland. I guess there's Snowflake Lane in Bellevue. There's probably another lane somewhere else that's close to you. Why? Because light speaks of hope. Because light draws us. It speaks of hope. And there is hope. As you ponder this passage, as you look, we are the people. We are chosen generation. We are called to share. We are called to say, let's go up. How are we doing? We are called to draw people. Let me just say this in closing. Maybe you haven't done everything you said that you know you should do. God's calling you back. 
I had a roommate who lived in this garage. It was a roach-infected infested garage. One of my roommates, he was studying, and a roach jumped on his book. He never opened that book again. But it was only like 20 bucks a month. That's what you pay for what you live in. But another roommate, he started to cuss up a blue storm. And he would say, Jesus this, and Jesus that, and God this. And finally I got tired of it. I said, Paul, don't do that. You don't have to do that. And he points his fingers right at me and says, don't you tell me what to do. I see your life. He called me out. And it was true. I had to shut my trap. But in that process, I had to check into my own life. Like I said, if you knew what I was like before, you might not have, you wouldn't be here maybe. As you ponder this passage, does it encourage you? It should. It's a promise. It's a promise for you. It's a promise that will be fulfilled for those who believe in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, he wants to fulfill that. Just come and see who he is. We are the people called to be the, called to be the light, to share his hope and share it with the world. Let us walk in that light. Let us live in that light. And as we come to communion, that's what this is all about. Hope. Because scripture tells us not only did Jesus die for us and raise again, the hope is do this in remembrance of me. Until what? Until he returns. That's our hope. And you can have an anchor in that hope. So if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, come. Take. Come. You dip the bread into the wine or into the juice and you are reminding yourself of who God is and why he is so important, especially in this Christmas season. Let us pray. Father, as we come now, you are the good God. You are a God that desires all people be drawn to you. All nations, meaning from every tongue and tribe, every color of people. May we then enter into this communion knowing how great you are, and that our hope does not lie in wishful thinking. Our hope lies in fact. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.